0: Welcome, everyone, to our podcast Connections. I'm Michelle Prouse, and joining me today is Lynette Ellis and Margaret Pearson. And we are recording Conversations on the Couch. Margaret, thank you so much for coming today. You are affectionately known to many as the Purple Queen. And I love that so much because purple is my jam too. I I really, really love purple. So Margaret is here today in my living room with Lynette and she's wearing a beautiful purple blouse, just in case you were wondering, and it looks amazing with her beautiful red hair. So (laughs) Margaret, you are new to this area, relatively new to Pleasant Grove, and I just know that the sisters are going to love getting to know you. We didn't have enough time before COVID hit to really... Uh, get to know your fun personality. So (laughs) let's take an opportunity, Lynette, and let's dive deep into this beautiful woman. Uh, Let's start with where did you move from? Tell us about that.
1: We moved here from Portland, Oregon. I lived in a suburb of Portland called Beaverton, and we were there 41 years. Unbelievable, but true. Um, I was in my 20s, and my husband was in public accounting in an L.A. Big 8 firm, and or whatever it was, Big 6 back there, I don't know. Anyhow, uh, he got transferred to the Pacific Northwest, and we were over the moon because our vacations had all been oh, in the Northwest. Okay. And while we loved the upbringing we had in Los Angeles, Wayne and I were both born and raised in L.A., there were huge changes afoot. And at that time, um, we had a three-year-old and a 10-month-old baby and busing was going on. And there were people in my neighborhood that uh, were having first graders bus 45 miles away. And I just said, over my dead body. So when that opportunity came, we jumped on it and We left family and friends and everything we knew and went to Portland. And that area still calls my name. I Mm. still, my heart and my life and raising my children. And I had two more sons while living there. One of them born in the house that we subsequently left.
2: So big ties, big, big ties. But um I had a really profound experience
1: Um, when I was 32 years old. uh, We were living in Portland, and a friend took me to—I didn't know anything about Utah, uh, other than it was the headquarters of the church. But um, she took me to my first education week, and I am a class junkie. I love taking classes. And she said, do you want to go to education week? I'm going to drive. And we were the same age and season in life. Um, And I jumped in the car with her, arranged childcare, and we went. And I fell madly in love with BYU and that whole idea. I was standing, this is one of the pivotal experiences of my life. I was standing in front of the Wilkinson Center, that ballroom thing. I was looking out at the mountains and I I adore mountains. And I just said, Oh, Heavenly Father, this is some of your best work. Look at these mountains. I am in love with them. And And we get to see them every day. (laughs) (laughs) And I had, it was so powerful. It was, I'm not sure that it wasn't a voice. That quietly said, "I'm glad you like them. You're going to live here one day." Oh my goodness! And I (laughs) almost fell over, and I thought, "Well, how could that ever happen?" But anyhow, life goes on, Mm -hmm. and I used to laugh and tell Heavenly Father, "Wow, uh, do you realize the numbers next to my age? Things are moving on. What about that? (laughs) No, still going to happen, but I did not see the way." So. When this all came down and happened, and here we are, I just chuckle, and I know God does too, about that incredible day in front of the BYU Wilkinson Center and loving those mountains.
3: Oh, my goodness. So was that experience at BYU, was that prior to joining the church, or were you a no, member at I that no I joined point? the
1: church when I was uh, 22. Okay. But the church had crossed paths in my life. I mean... That Anytime I see someone who's, you know, Latter-day Saints cross their path over and over, I go, you're a marked person. You'll be one of us before you know it. And it's it's true. It When it keeps crossing your path over and over, that's my feeling is that's God's way of preparing you for what's coming, which is to become a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which I'm so grateful. So, did you have friends growing up that were members, or
3: how did you? I, how 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 did the gospel c- cross your path?
1: So, I grew up um, in a suburb of LA, of course, and I had a really unique, very fortunate um, opportunity to grow up at the mouth of Haines Canyon, which is part of the the Angeles National Forest. So, my parents owned a home that was at the very, very end of a dirt road, Haynes Canyon Road. And everyone had horse property and there was a lady who raised goats and it was just it was kind of a weird rural sort of a experience in as a suburb of Los Angeles. Mm. But um we had I had a horse in my backyard. I always had a profound drive to have a horse. I just have a real connection to those Mm. animals. And um, I just tortured my parents. And there were people in the neighborhood that had horses. (laughs) And I would go clean their corrals in exchange for being able to ride their horses. Because at the end of the street um, was the Angeles Forest. And it was completely traced with Trails, and um, there was a man down the street named um, was brother Kimball. And see, I wasn't even a member of the church, but everybody called him Brother Kimball. Um, his name will come to me later. But anyway, Haslam, Kimball Haslam. So we, we, Brother Kim, Brother Haslam. He would cut trails all through the mountains, and he'd take a bunch of us kids and with saws, and we'd cut trail, and it was fabulous. And you could get on a horse and be gone for hours up in the mountains. So it was a really unique. Well, as luck would have it, Brother Haslam was a member of the Church of Jesus Christ. And after we would ride, a whole bunch of us neighbors and people, he would bring us back to his house, and his wife, Maggie, would grind wheat and make pancakes. And um, that was my first introduction to a member of the church. And then some of the girls that I rode with, Barbara Milton, and I'll get choked up talking about her to this day, Mm. because she was my first introduction to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we both had challenging teenage years together, Barbara and I, Both of our moms worked during a time where most moms were home, our moms worked full time, and as eldest in the families, a lot of responsibility fell on our shoulders, and sometimes we did not get the mothering that we needed, so I think we kind of mothered each other, and Mm. um, that's the beginning of my introduction to the church, because of course she went to seminary and dances and all the things that are involved with being a youth in the church and I would tag along and um oh I think of those days I was so naughty I would go to the church dances and skirts that were too short and they wouldn't say anything to me because I was not a member
4: (laughs) oh oh, that was naughty
1: and um You know, I went to seminary. I think about that, and I can't believe it, because I would get up to feed the horses before I left for school and sometimes get a ride in at 5 o'clock in the morning. And um, I'd go to seminary with Barbara just a few times, and I remember what it was like to feel the Spirit. There was something there. When you don't know what it is, it just seems like the air feels different here. What is it? It's sort of like being in a foggy room and you ask yourself, where's that fog coming from? Where The air feels thick here. You know, I didn't know what that meant. I just was drawn to it like a magnet.
0: I love this so much. I And I love that you said that you and this gal were mothering each other mm-hmm. because I think that's one thing that I would say about you that is one of your qualities that I noticed right out the gate, just getting to know you is that you have an intense love for nurturing people. I can tell that about you. So I mean that. And I think of course you were mothering each other and that is what the Relief Society is. Absolutely. And with just being the nurturing, um, Just pure-hearted person that you are, you were you recognized the spirit. Mm -hmm. You know those seeds were able to be planted. They didn't frighten you; they intrigued you. Like Mm -hmm. I remember this from long ago. What is this? Yeah, (laughs) precious.
1: So then, the second thing that would happen is I'd be at Barbara's house, and her mother would always feed those young missionaries. And back then, the missionaries had this flannel board system for teaching the gospel. And so, uh, of course, I was drawn. To wanting to be there because they were cute and young. Of course. Me, Right. <laughs> um, it was fun to flirt with them. And, but as they would teach whoever they were teaching in her home, I was a secondary benefit. And I, I was a terrible debater and an arguer. And so I would sit and talk with them and chat with them and torture them a little bit. And, what is this? What is that? What does this mean? What does that mean? Because I really wasn't raised with a tr- religious tradition of any kind, um, and so um, I just knew there was a God. And my uh, grandmother, who is Irish Catholic, and took me to church, and I went through catechism and made my first communion, and then she moved. Uh, from California to Ohio, and that was the end of my religious education, so to speak. And so I probably kind of had an inception of the idea of a God, but after that, there there wasn't. So I was intrigued and drawn by that.
0: And it's like the Lord was able to keep that intrigue alive through people, but also through animals, through nature. yes we
1: fill Heavenly Father's love for us. So my second truly pivotal spiritual moment for me was, uh, I just had a very tempestuous, difficult teenage years. I had way more responsibility than I should have had. And my brother and sister are 13 years and seven and a half years younger than me. And as eldest the responsibility for them fell on me. And I just, you know, remember feeling very, very alone. And I take care of everybody else, but no one takes care of me feeling. And uh, I didn't fit in in high school. I, I was a very unusual high school person. We get into that. That can be later. But I just had this one extremely important day and I was around fifteen, fifteen, sixteen, right in there, and had a big fight with my parents and did what I always did to run away is run out to the backyard, grab my horse. Brush him off a little bit, throw a bridle on him. I can't believe I ever did this, girls. I'm, I'm, now I'm back to my real self. Oh my gosh, did you really do that? Yeah, I really did. <laughs> I maybe put a bareback pad on him, maybe didn't, and grabbed that withers area on a horse, swung up and charged out the driveway and up into the mountains. And there was a sandy area by a reservoir, a catch basin for water. And I rode and cried and cried my heart out to my horse and um there was so I got to this reservoir area and just felt like I want my life to be over. I can't stand this. This is horrible. Hmm. This is I felt like a stranger, like you're You go on a vacation and you stay at a really bad motel where you don't want to take off your shoes. I felt like that's my life. I was in a really bad trip. and (laughs) I I remember thinking, I want to go home. This is just too awful. And I don't belong here. I don't fit. You know, one of these kids is doing Mm -hmm. their own thing. One of these is not the same. And it was Mm -hmm. me. And so I slipped off my horse. And he was kind of playing in the water, and horses love sand, so he got down on the ground and was rolling, and I was just petting him and crying, and you know, like he was going to fix my life and I remember crying to the horse on and he was down and on the ground, and I was down on the ground, or maybe I was on him, I can't remember that part, but that's irrelevant, and just saying, "I feel so." Alone. I am so alone. Nobody understands me, and I am alone. And just like that Wilkinson Center moment, I may have heard a voice. It was that powerful.
2: You are not alone. Mm. And those are just three silly words, but. I felt the presence of the Lord that moment. You are not alone. Mm -hmm. I'm here with you. And I'm looking
1: around, and I said, did the horse talk? Is he Mr. Ed? (laughs) 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 Anyway, um, that was really the beginning of my spiritual odyssey and what came next. And what came next was more times at Barbara Milton's house, more missionary interchanges, and just listening to the gospel be taught. And I kept getting this feeling, I know this is true. I've heard this before. I know this is true. There's a familiar feeling about how this fits. And I said, you know, I'm going to get baptized. That just went through my head. I'm going to get baptized. So I went home to tell my parents I've. I. It was. Um, I know the exact moment because it was when that first moonwalk happened, and they were glued to the TV. Oh my wow! <laughs> wow! And I had taken their uh, enamorment with the TV to my chance to jump on my horse and get gone. That
0: is so cool. <laughs> Isn't that
1: funny that that's earmarked? You can and so. That um, moment.
0: Right down to the second
3: I came
1: in and I said, I want to get baptized into the Mormon church. And they're watching a TV. Uh-huh, fine, good, you know. (laughs) Perfect. And it's they just didn't react. And Barbara Milton was outside the door. She went with me because I didn't think they were gonna take it real well for some reason. And she was out there for emotional support and I, I said Wow, they didn't even react. Well, that's because they were busy on the moon. Anyway, um, when they came back to themselves by that evening, they, uh, you know, I don't have words for how upset and angry they were. And basically they said, you are not joining that church. In fact, you're done with Barbara Milton. Mm -hmm. Uh, She's just influenced you. And um as long as you live in this house, you will have nothing to do with her or that church. And I was so stunned at their reaction because I knew they loved Brother Haslam and had ridden out with him. And that they, they, they had some respect, you know, for LDS people, but I don't know, and my dad's Irish heritage kicked in, even though he'd never been really an active Catholic in his whole life, and neither my mom went to Catholic school. Actually, my dad, I think, went to Catholic school too. Anyway, I never knew they had this enormous allegiance to the church, To, and they said, Margaret, once a Catholic, always a Catholic. And when I think of my dad, I can still see him saying that. <laughs> once a Catholic, always a Catholic. And he said, you can't change. And that's that. So um, I thought, okay. So now life goes forward. It was a little devastating. And uh, a week after I turned eighteen, I moved out of my home. I had my dad had helped me find a car through the police auction, so I owned my own car and had gathered up some garage sale stuff and moved out into an apartment in Burbank, California, and. I say this, but it's like, I must be talking about someone else's life. I went to school full-time. I worked in an office, and I went to school full-time. I went to school full-time, and I worked full-time in an office. And through high school, I had worked um, part-time from 12 to 5 in an office every day, and they just assumed I was a college student, so I let them. And anyhow, so a week after I turned 18, I moved out, moved into my own apartment. I just felt full of myself and happy. And now I was going to be baptized. Now I was going to join the church because I didn't live in their house anymore.
3: And had you, had you maintained contact with Barbara?
1: Maintained contact with Barbara. Yes. Yes. She went away to BYU to school. And so, you know, but we, you know, there just is a bosom friendship there. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah. So then I told her, I remember, um, She was a year behind me in school, and uh, because I had gone to summer school, I just could not wait to get out of high school. I just wanted out of high school and moved on with my life. And uh, so I had graduated a year early, and so she was still in high school that first year that I had moved out. I just remembered that anyway. Um, so I had in the meantime met my husband and was madly in love with him. I'm so lucky that I got to have that experience in this life of being madly in love with someone and you know, every minute apart is pain and suffering. <laughs>
0: I'm <laughs> and... glad you would
3: break away to come talk to us. Oh, yes. Yes.
0: Oh, <laughs> I know. Yes. This must yes. be very terribly difficult for you. We could call him and have him come sit beside you. <laughs> oh, yes. No, not
1: after 49 years, Michelle.
0: <laughs> You're okay for a few minutes.
1: Uh, yeah. Anyhow, I feel like I've been rambling on and on. No, you know. keep going. I've so you, you met your husband. Found.
3: Was he a member?
1: No. Neither of us remembers. Um, and we met in a very bizarre way. Um, I was with girlfriends and he was with guy friends and we had gone on a Friday night to check out this party. You know how party in high school people have parties and we'd gone there, checked it out. Eh, Boring, we're leaving. So we were coming down the driveway of this house and Wayne and his buddies were coming in and I just remember looking at this tan, tall, you know, surfer boy with a shock of blonde hair standing there and the three friends. And I actually was flirting it up with his friends and his friends were flirting with me, but it was Wayne, that quiet guy standing in the back with just a smile and baby blue cords and with his hands in his pockets. And I, immediately there was something there and they decided to come back in. And so did we, we went back into this party and Wayne and I sat and talked all night till they threw us out. Just could not talk enough. And who are you? What are you? There was just an affinity there. And um, I went home and I, I remember telling my parents cause I still lived at home at that point, but I, I said, I think I met a man I'm going to marry. And I, at that point, remember kids, I was not a member of the church. I had no plans to ever be married or have kids. I'd had enough of raising kids. And Mm -hmm. I love children. I've always loved children. And I wanted to dedicate myself to helping children. But um, being married and having my own kids, I kind of was liberated in many ways or so I thought in those days. So, it was really a surprise to meet Wayne and have this huge feeling about that. But anyway, yeah. So, <laughs> uh
0: where where did you said Wayne grew up in the same area then, so, right? So, yes.
1: We actually went to the same high school, although he was a senior and I was just I com- I was a freshman and let's see what comes before. That's when you're in 10th grade, right? So it was a 10 through 12 high school. And trust me, we did not know each other in high school at all. Wayne was extraordinarily studious and a member of the chess and math club. They had a special table at lunch. I never went near that table. (laughs) (laughs) I I was busy wearing short skirts and working in an office (laughs) half the day. And, you know, I went to high school in the morning and went to work. And yeah. So it was really bizarre that we met at that party. He had graduated from high school and um, was going to junior college. And yeah. So we grew up in Southern California, and it was just a bizarre coincidence that we went to the same high school but did not know each other.
0: That is the cutest story. So the night that you kind of first talked all night long, did that just... Was that what set everything into motion to continue to hang out? Yeah,
1: yeah. and then he was super shy and never called me back, so I happened to go to a grocery store where his best friend worked as a bagger to give him an opportunity to get my phone number. (laughs) (laughs) I love you so much. Uh, Take charge. So um, sometimes nature needs a hand, you know? Okay. And, so
0: Thoroughly Modern Millie, you've yeah, seen it, right? Yeah, yeah, so you I, kind of remind I, me of like the modern woman, like you were uh, doing things yeah. your way. You were kind of swimming upstream well, and doing thought, non-conforming to the system. Yes. And- <laughs> yeah. And, I,
1: and I'm kind of a person that sees something needs to get done. And I get it done. I and love so, that. I'd heard through the grapevine that he was interested in me, but why hadn't he called me? I gave <laughs> him my number. He asked for it. What the heck? Anyhow... 'Cause it was a couple months later. So I went and I bought I remember what I bought. I bought gum and a black comb. And You
0: have to buy something to get cash yes, back yes, to yes, go yes. the
1: checker line.
0: Like, and like, and dang, then Carl. am I gonna Paul, buy? Gum.
1: Yeah, Carl Paul, Wayne's best friend, had to put it in a bag for me and while he was there, I said, Hey, I remember you from this party. And yeah, well, of course you do. What do you think I'm here for? <laughs> now, I didn't say that.
0: But- I spent four hours on my hair. Know, you better yes, remember me. And I drove 30 minutes
1: out of the way. Anyway, exactly, so he, he said, you know, um, Wayne really wants your phone number. I go, great. Here it is again. And then there was this other gap and I was babysitting my neighbor's kids and I get this phone call. And. Wayne is stammering and said, "Uh, Hello, this is Wayne Pearson. And do you remember me from that party? And I'm so naughty. I said, Let me think.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you didn't call for
1: several months, so I'm going to make you suffer a little bit, buddy. And so I said, Let me think. He almost hung up because he was so scared. And I go, Wait a minute. Oh, yeah, I remember now. (laughs) <laughs> and so, and then we talked, and you know, those people did not get their money's worth out of that babysitting job because we chit chatted on the phone for. Oh, and he asked my me out on goodness. a date. And the rest is history.
0: That is so <laughs> precious. I love that so much. There yeah. is something really handsome about nerds. Like, I married a nerd. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yes.
0: It wasn't like the really amazing, you know, like the job. Jug- I I went for the nerd. He was like the quiet guy. I was so intrigued by him. Maybe because it's like when you're a flirty person, I was that way too. Maybe it's like the person, the least likely person or something. I don't know, but that's so cute. You've got to crack that shell. Yeah, you kind of got to crack that shell. It's like, I can crack everybody else's shell, but you're like mysterious. I don't know.
1: Well, intellectual (laughs) brilliance has just always been the most attractive thing to me. And he was a smarty smarty smart guy and you know we could talk about anything and um yeah I just have always been drawn and um yeah but did he like horses no he didn't he'd never been on a horse in his life and oh. so of course they said you want to go riding and he said okay because at that point he'd do anything I wanted and <laughs> so <laughs> so I take him I'm going to show him you know my chops on a, uh, how fabulous I am on a horse and with my long waist length hair and the horses love me. I'm just going to really
2: impress him.
1: (laughs) And he got on the horse and promptly flew over onto the other side, onto the ground with a clunk.
2: (laughs) So, oh yeah, I
1: thought, oh dear, I broke him. (laughs) But anyway, he was a really good egg and he did go on a horseback ride for me. I think that was it, one and done.
0: So it wasn't, because all along I'm thinking, this this sounds like something I would watch on the BBC. Like your life, I'm like imagining this long red hair and of green gables or something and oh my life and laying on the horse by the river. And, you know, and so he fell off the horse. Was that like... Yeah, he's not going to be a cowboy. That's it for me. Like, this is not going to happen. This is not happen. Mr. Darcy, or this is yeah, not no, like yeah. the man who's going <laughs> to, you know, in mid pick you up yeah. and throw you on the back. Yeah, yeah. But it was still go. You were still like, oh, I can yeah. work through this. This yeah. is kind of a snag. but Yeah,
1: he's not going to be a horseman, <laughs> but he's got other characteristics I like. He's really smart and really sweet. <laughs> he's really smart. Yeah. So, and he could do math, and I couldn't. And at that point, <laughs> I was... Um, doing a nursing program in college and you know, it requires math, which I am just not a math wizard, but he sure was. And, uh, yeah. Anyway, I, it was, it was interesting. I, I, I used him for his wits. We would have dates at the library and I would write papers for him. Cause English was kind of my, I was good at writing and doing English things. And, um, I remember when he was in college, I suppose this makes us look dishonest, but we weren't members then. Anyhow, so he had a Music 101 class and you had to go to a concert. And oh my gosh, I lit up. He said, I got to go to this concert. Do you want to go out with me and we'll go to the Hollywood Bowl and I have to go listen to this classical concert? And it was a Beethoven Mozart series, which of course sent me into orbit and I loved it. And I said, yes, yes, yes. And he said, and there's this paper that I have to write up about it. <laughs> and I said, "Oh, I'll go. I'll write the paper too." Done Well, we went, and of course, I just—I had been exposed to classical music in my home, but never—I'd never been to a live concert. And I—it was the LA Philharmonic with Zubin Mehta. I can't believe I remember this, but anyhow, he was the conductor. I went berserk, and I took notes, and I wrote this paper. I got an A for Wayne. And because I knew things about music that he didn't, so anyway, tennis, math, and those were his fortes. <laughs> music, writing, me.
0: So how? So long it did was you so court? fun. How I long? Mean, how long did you court? How long were you dating before we dated this two, two years official?
1: before we got married? Awesome. Yeah, and it just—I remember one time he was taking me home from a date, and it was like I said, Wayne, this feels ridiculous. I mean, it's like, I don't want to go home. And he said, I don't want you to go home. And I, I said, this is starting to feel silly. That's why I always later when we served in a YSA ward, I said, you can only date for so long. You have to either break up or get married. I mean, you can't just keep dating. It just seems silly after a while. But Yeah, it's
0: like anyway. there's nothing else to check off but to move forward. Mm-hmm. right? Yeah.
1: Moving forward, right.
0: Okay, so looping back to the church, where mm-hmm. where did this become like in your path? Because your husband's obviously. Well, a the, the church, church kept crossing
1: well. my path. That was Great. interesting. So now fast forward, Heather's a baby. We're living in Burbank in a little rental house. Wayne is completely embroiled in his CPA career. Um And which meant back in those days, that if you went to work for a big firm, they really put you through the ringer. So he was working six, seven days a week, um, 80, 90 hour, 100 hour weeks, not uncommon. I mean, so here we were, we kind of, the last year of college, we're newlyweds and we studied together. We're both working full time, going to school full time, but we studied together and you know our lives were about each other and then poof he passed the cpa exam and disappeared literally and mm. it just seemed so strange well um you know i'm not afraid of hard work and i just knew we had to pay our price for you know security anyway his whole life became his career and i had a baby and that was my whole life and the missionaries knocked on the door and of course i knew who they were right away When they came in and I said, you know, uh, they gave me the six discussions and I was going to get baptized again. I can't believe it. This is actually finally going to happen. Wayne, are you interested? No. Do you care if I get baptized? No. Um, I just don't have time. I don't want to know anything about it, blah, blah, blah. So my baptism day is set. I can't believe it. Finally. And there's a knock at the door and the missionaries are crying and i said what's the matter and they come in and they said the mission president has told us we can't baptize you and i am thunderstruck and i and it's like going to be the next day type thing and um everyone hang on to your faith pants because this is going to get bumpy but it'll get it'll be all right they said the mission President had prayed because my husband was not interested, and that he felt that it would become divisive in our marriage if I were a member, oh. and he was not there wasn 't a rule that you couldn 't be baptized, so don 't go down that road people mm-hmm. but um they he just the mission president had had prayed and of course. I'm being very magnanimous right now. At the time, I was not so magnanimous. Mm -hmm. He said, our mission president has said, we can't baptize you because your husband is not interested and he feels it will divide your marriage. Oh, my word. They left and I was a mess. And I went to church that Sunday, sat by myself, because I'd been going to church and um, with Heather was a baby. And I was so—I don't know—I can't even describe it. I was angry, sad, upset, like, um, "What? You know, I'm not good enough. You know, I have to have Wayne's mm. approval." And I kind of was a feminist at heart, so that mm-hmm. was, I went down that road with it in my mind and thoughts. But I kept going. I kept going. So pretty soon, I did peter out with going to church, and because at that time. To a woman sitting by herself at, by themselves in a sacrament meeting, which just was a really weird thing. But anyhow, I did. And then we moved and bought our first house. And um, it was in La Crescenta, California. And I, you know, I'm trying to encapsulate the biggest spiritual experience of my entire life into a second. Am I chatting too much? Not Mm-mm. at
0: all. I wish so, I had popcorn there. I'll be honest. I'm like so into your
1: story <laughs> oh. right now. <laughs> so Barbara Melton is away at BYU and finishing college there and getting her nursing degree. And I've had a baby, and we bought our first house in La Crescenta, and I i'm I'm trying to make a reader's digest out of this. I went through a period I've always been a very fear based person I've always been risk adverse uh it was never me and my horse that were first down a new trail i <laughs> will be the fifth or sixth. <laughs> thank you. I just you
2: know am risk adverse no. and um so I went through this period of extraordinary terror every
1: single night. uh, I had night terrors. And I would go to bed and go to sleep and wake up in a dead sweat, terrified, and I could feel and see uh, entities in the room. And uh, it was during this time also that I was church shopping, faith shopping. I was going to all different Christian denominations and the evangelicals. I was searching for the Lord, searching for
2: God, and uh, also having this enormous struggle at nights. Anyway, um,
1: this one particular night was really, really bad, and I got up in the night and went into the bathroom because you can turn the light on and shut the door and the boogeyman can never get you in there. I'll just tell you that. And and I fell on my knees and I held my Bible. At the the time I was still starting to read the Bible and and had quite an experience with the Lord. And um, it was made known to me in a very sacred way that I needed to be baptized, that I would be baptized, and this time it would be okay. And that the Book of Mormon was indeed the Word of God, and that his hand was on my life, and I could stop faith and church shopping because this was it. So um, I truly know without a question about Joseph Smith's experience with an angel, because I experienced that myself. And uh, it's just, it's so hard to know where to edit this. But I went back to bed, and I also was given a promise that night that the things that were torturing me night after night were going to stop, and that would be the end of it. And that, um, the confusion about all this was going to be lifted from me, and it was. Mm. So the next day, I call—I just laugh when I think about this now because I know the church system better—I call the stake missionary office <laughs> in La Crescenta, California, and a man answers the phone. I said, Hi, my name's Margaret Pearson. I want to be baptized. I've already been through the discussions many times, and I know them by heart. So just send some over, and let's get the date set up. Well, and they're like, oh, nobody's on the (laughs) line. (laughs) The sweet brother on the other, of the line. I go, hello, hello. (laughs) Can't even
0: talk. He's like, I am. I'm looking for the church handbook. I'm not yeah, even sure yeah. what I'm supposed to say.
1: <laughs> and I just am thinking like I'm, you know, ordering chicken at the chicken store or something, you know. Yes, I'd and, like to order a baptism. baptism. I know, you know, well, what day can we do it? Oh, oh, okay. Um, well, I think I have to send someone over. I said, oh, okay, sure. Whatever you need to do. Here's my name and address. So, um, anyhow, and the rest is history. So. Yeah. It's not and history, I dead, though. I,
0: I feel like when did Wayne have the so, ability or his heart, you know, was he prepared at that time? Do you feel like no, some time had no. passed? And okay. just like. Do you the, mind sharing? Oh, I'm, I'm sure. just, I'm just fascinated. like
1: the first time he said, Margaret, I don't. And And now he's commuting and being sent out on audits and all over the place. And, you know, he had like a two hour commute each way, an hour and a half commute because he was doing audits in Century City and far away. And he said, you know, I just don't have time and I don't have interest. Okay. So, but he was totally supportive of me. And, uh, once again, my family was very upset and, um, my poor dad, bless his heart. He he kind of made it a decision. He, I'd always been the child that was the pleaser. You know, I will do anything, anything not to get a spanking or a, you know, I I just wanted to please. I was a pleasing child. I really was not a rebellious. But the gauntlet would, had been thrown down, and he made it a choice. He said, "It's me or that church. Choose." Oh,
3: wow. ouch!
1: And I remember saying, "Dad." through huge crying tears. I said, please don't make me do this. I said, you're asking me to choose between you or God. And I said, I I tried to tell him, you know, share snippets of my experience. And, you know, he thought that was hokey pokey, of course. I bet he doesn't think that now because he lives up there with them. (laughs) But he made the decision. He, he, I, I didn't have a choice. And, uh, and he made his choice and I made mine. And it wasn't, it was sad. And I did choose God and I did go ahead. And, um, and Wayne was supportive. So I was baptized. It was a big experience and was 100% active. And, Wayne would come once in a while and people didn't realize he wasn't a member. He did not get baptized. In fact, they made him the Cub Scout committee chairman because it was the only calling you could have and not be a baptized member. And as he went out on double dates and my world became more and more ward friends and some of our closest friends were also CPAs and worked in big eight firms. He was just carefully brought along and he resisted and fought it tooth and nail until the radio in his car. This is one of his favorite stories to tell. It's still hilarious. So we had this horrible commute in rush hour traffic in LA. And his radio broke in his car. And he was a big radio person. He listened to the news, he listened to KRLA, which was Motown and beach boy music and the the phone, the radio quit working in the car and then the spirit moved in and oh he it was, was so forced bad in silence that, to to listen <laughs> yes, to his thoughts yes. yes wayne would open the car windows cuz the spirit would be talking to him saying you know wayne you're going to join the church the church is true the gospel's true and the lord was talking to him he would open the window and yell and sing to try and drown it out. And the minute he stopped, you know, it's true. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Uh, But I want, I want this on the record. I had nothing N O T H I N G to do with Wayne's conversion or baptism. It was the taboo subject. We always had the Saturday night fights. It was uncannity. Now i you know when I say fights, I don't mean we punched right. each other out, <laughs> but it was like it was i mean it got to the point where he would kind of laugh and say, "What are we going to fight about Saturday night so you don't go to church tomorrow?" I mean it was hilarious, not at the time, but now it's funny, and it was about eighteen months later, and um the he worked he quickly ran through all the young because he just I would put a glass on the wall. I would pretend to be in the bedroom reading, and I'd put a glass on the wall to hear what they were teaching him and what they were talking (laughs) about, (laughs) you know. And I'd be I'd be on my knees in there praying, "Please, Emily, Father, come on, make him Uh, come along. You can do it." Uh, And Wayne just he just intellectualized, tortured them, and so then they sent in the big guns, the stake missionaries, Dennis Moffat, and and. Um Gerald Romney. And uh Gerald lost his fight with leukemia when he was thirty-two years old. So mm. that name is sacred in our family. He baptized Wayne and um anyway, they sent in the big guns and those two men came faithfully every week to do battle with Wayne Pearson, and gradually he ran out Wayne ran out of questions. He'd had everything answered. And he said, I have to fast for two days to be sure, because he wanted to make sure he could live the gospel perfectly. (laughs) What a joke. Nobody lives the gospel perfectly, but he wanted to. And um, if the Lord told him he could do it, then he would. So Dennis and Gerald Romney fasted for two days with Wayne. And they got
2: a huge answer. And Wayne was baptized a year and a half later. Mm. And, um, you know,
1: as I had a really big experience at Wayne's baptism, um, it didn't seem hard while he wasn't a member, but I guess it kind of was. The Lord lifted that burden off my shoulders. I remember when he was baptized, April Romney was standing next to me. And he went down in the water and came up and I had this overwhelming feeling that he would be a bishop one day.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: And I thought, well, how's that gonna happen? Look what a fight it was to get him to this point. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, as our life unfolded, he was always a counselor. I think it was seventeen years in a row that and he'll correct this of course because he remembers numbers perfectly, but uh he was a counselor in and- bishopric after bishopric. And I just thought, you know, I must have got that wrong. And um, except for April was standing next to me and she turned to me when he came up out of the water and she said, Margaret Wayne's going to be a bishop someday. And, you know, so it was a confirmation and that's how the Lord speaks to me. I always get a confirmation because I can't trust in myself. And we, he had that opportunity, that great blessing um, just before we moved to Utah. So he was the Bishop of a YSA ward, and we served there for six years. Anyhow. Wow. Yeah. I love the church. I want it on record. I love the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I love his church. And when I look at the course of my life, the opportunities that have come to me because of my membership, the great confidence that the Lord has shown to me. And Lynette, you know this, that when you have a a big fat calling and one that requires everything you've got, it is also an
2: incredible vote of confidence from your God that he trusts you to let you be guided by him. And I just have, an inestimable gratitude for my membership in the church
1: of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It's hard to remember when I wasn't.
3: You know, I think back to that Margaret that was, you know, on the ground with her horse and felt so alone. And now look, you'll never be alone again because of,
0: you know, your membership in the gospel.
1: Oh. Amen and amen.
0: I had a really wonderful conversation with my big son that just popped in here down here yesterday. He he had uh, just finished a counseling session that I wasn't a part of, but something that the counselor had said to him really caused him to to think really hard and really just flooded him with emotion. So my big boy Hiram, he called me and he said, "Mom, the counselor." He said, the counselor asked me if if I felt like my parents emotionally understood me. He said, and I was really surprised when the counselor asked me this. I just wrapped it in tears and I couldn't stop crying. And he said, I don't know. I don't know if my parents understand me. He He's also the oldest. Mm-hmm. And um, he says, I, I, I just feel like, you know maybe they do but maybe they don't you know i've had definitely periods where i've just felt really lonely and definitely periods of time when i felt like i didn't have friends or maybe that mom and dad didn't have time for me even though i i was blessed to be able to be a stay-at-home mom throughout all of my children's lives and the natural me i i feel like the the me that may have reacted naturally to him in that conversation would have been hurt or defensive or just thinking, well, why would you say that? Or I would just internalize that and just feel bad for myself or something. But I just quietly listened and I let him cry and talk for a long time. And after a little bit, the inspiration started to come on how to start working with this boy. And one of the things that I was able to share with him, I said, it was like, Sorry, my mind goes in a lot of different ways, but Joseph Smith once said, you know, you're teaching by the spirit when you're saying something that you didn't even know. Amen. And it's like oh, in that yes. moment, you're learning a principle as mm-hmm. you're speaking it. So I'm going to try to describe this and maybe this will get edited out. But anyway, I said, son, you were, I know you were meant to be raised by your dad and I. I said, I know that's true. And as as I'm sharing these things with him, the spirit is just burning. My my bosom is Mm -hmm. just burning to pieces. I'm just sitting in the car uh, out of the parking lot at a soccer park. And I said, those holes that you've had in your life, the periods of loneliness, the periods of not feeling understood or hating the moves that we made or feeling like mom or dad are too busy or we couldn't figure out your problems or whatever these emotions you're feeling right now. I said, you are meant to have those holes in your life. That's why God gave you dad and I. And I said, I thought, this is coming from the Holy ghost and the spirit witnessed that that was true. You are meant to be raised by an imperfect person. And I said, so you could become you. I said, if I had been able to be a perfect person, Mother and Daddy was able to be a perfect father, which is impossible. You would not be who you are, and you wouldn't be prepared to now be your own person and thats That experience was really sweet and i I thought about that as you were talking, Margaret, and how you were you know this, the oldest child, and just kind of your experiences growing up and how they forced you to seek for comfort in The heavens or the universe or the cosmos Mm -hmm. or animals or whatever Mm -hmm. you could find. Your experiences, you were meant to be raised by who you were raised by in order to have the holes that would then become filled with truth and with a companion and you would be made whole. And I promised that to my son. I said, son, you're having this experience right now, I believe, because you're preparing to become a husband someday. I said, and I promise you, the holes that you fill that you have will be filled by your companion as we're commanded to become one with our spouse and as we allow the Lord in that triangle. And it was the most beautiful, just experience that we had together. But I feel like, Margaret, your story that you're sharing is so, is such a testament of that, you know, it's like we have all of these experiences which create gaps in our our pride in our own persona that allows the spirit to fill that in. You know, we have these needs that are not met in any other way Mm. except through the Lord, except through those people that cross, cross your path. That's Mm -hmm. not a coincidence. And thank heavens for that. That's a true principle. We're given weaknesses and challenges that we need the Lord, that we are ready to accept the gospel that we, you know, you, you fill in the blank. But your story is just remarkable. And I think that is, is, yes. Oh, my heavens, (laughs) yes. And it's how the Lord operates with us imperfect people. He's like, you know, looking down from the heavens, I love you. I know you have all of these needs that are not filled and that you're unique. You know, to feel misunderstood is not a totally abnormal thing. I told that to my son too. I said it's okay to feel misunderstood. It's okay to feel like you're different than everybody else. He hated high school too, by the way, like in a major way. Did not feel like he fit in. Mm-hmm. But I said those are experiences for you. I said you're becoming something. And I was like, oh, it's like parent talk. You know, high <laughs> on myself in the car. <laughs> oh, <Michelle>, god. <laughs> because you I, know, yeah. normally you know that could have gone a different way. But I just on the way home, I just cried and I just thanked Heavenly Father thank you for helping me out. That wasn't me. That was something he needed to learn. And in teaching him that I learned some things and was able to heal some things that I didn't even know that I needed to heal. But anyway, I kind of went a little bit off in the the weeds there, but you know, I too bear testimony that that's how the Lord works. I see that in my life. I see that in my children's lives. And I see that in those marked people, as you spoke of, I love how you said that. Those people who have been marked as if I'm sure father knew in the preexistence would embrace the gospel again here mm-hmm. and he would need them to lead out. He allows them to have those experiences and that they are aware of them. Does that make sense? Like 100%. you're able to connect that to something deeper instead of just saying, oh, life is crummy or this and that and this and that, you know, you're able to find meaning in that and grow from it.
1: The trick is, Michelle, and at this late stage in my life, I am still trying to learn this, that when you're in the Valley of Sorrow, when you're in the pit of doom, that's one of my favorite Margaretisms, I'm in the pit of doom, (laughs) give me a ladder, (laughs) um, is keeping the perspective of what you just described, and I felt such a witness of the Spirit in what you said is, that you had the perfect parents you had the perfect experiences albeit hard one two things that i do want to share because i know them to my marrow god always prepares us mm. always prepares us we don't think so but when you look back after you're out of the pit of doom and you're even up to the top rung of the ladder seeing daylight um
2: you'll see oh Okay, I was being prepared for that. Um, and then the second thing, you know, we hear it said that God will give never give
1: you more than you can handle, and I totally disagree.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: My life has been a living witness of God has given me in several instances way more. Than I could I would possibly agree to that too. handle. I am shocked. I think that's at what misunderstood when people
0: say that. I am like, yeah, no, no. He gives <laughs> yeah, you more than exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's not. That's not true. And that's one of my
1: favorite things. But not he scriptural. will pro- He
0: will provide the witness you spoke of. Yes, he'll provide the angels. Yes. He'll provide the help.
1: Yes, and many times those very traumas and experiences are what give you your deepest spiritual knowledge that you know at a personal level, without question. I could never, ever have done that mm. without the Lord. I know I was carried. I know
2: my burdens were made so light that I could not feel them, um, which... Can I share this
1: about my heart, recent heart of thing? Of course, please. So we moved here, and in moving here, God saved my temporal life, literally. Now, why couldn't he have saved me in Portland? I don't know. But, you know, there's a lot of reasons that remain to be seen. Why am I here? Um, had I remained in Portland, I had this heart condition, and I literally— I had a condition in my heart, and they didn't know till they cut me open like a Thanksgiving turkey, um, that I had something called the Widowmaker. And my Widowmaker, the reason it's called that That is it's the descending aortal, left aortal uh, artery, that if that's 99% blocked, you just drop dead. You don't have symptoms. You you just there one day, gone the next. Which, frankly, Heavenly Father, that is my wish list. You know.
4: Anyway, <laughs> not, I not, got yet. Wish. not yet. Not <laughs> yet. Yeah,
1: I don't want pain and suffering. I just want boom, home, wake up with harps. Anyway. <laughs> um, So moving here, the elevation, I could not adjust and I won't get into all that, but it's what drove me to the doctor. And then they discovered this mess and I was going in for a simple test and I came out with a scar down my chest, but had my heart replumbed. And that was facing one of my hugest fears because I'm the support person that takes people to the hospital. I'm never the patient and I'm good at, Talking with doctors and nurses and being supportive, and I'm really suck at the lay in a bed and be the victim. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyway, um, I had such a profound experience because it was up against my biggest fears: being in the hospital, being disabled, uh, losing my agency, my ability to make my de- own decisions that affect my life. And I never remember anyone in the hospital asking me if I wanted to do this or I don't remember signing my life away. But anyway, I when I came to in the um, ICU, my family was around me and I didn't remember this. My kids told me this. And I said one thing, I said, I don't want everyone to bear their testimony. I need to hear your testimony. And I don't remember a word that was said. In fact, I didn't remember even doing that. My granddaughter remembered and told me. But as I was in the hospital, all hooked up to stuff, and I, it was sort of an out-of-body experience. It's like, uh th- what is this, like a bad dream? <laughs> and a scripture came into my mind, and it's helped me with fear of fr- future Trial and I hope that someone hearing this could it could help you today. And it was this. I thought I'm looking around. My arms are covered in lines. I had two pick lines into my heart, two cut downs in my Um, necks, and I'm looking at all this. And I thought, gee, I can't even get it run away. (laughs) I can't even get on my horse Uh, and run away. yeah, Yeah, and I. See, I'm I'm trying to articulate a spiritual moment. A scripture came into my mind in that moment that their burdens were lifted such that they could not even feel them
2: upon their backs. Mm. Because as I looked at all this stuff, I was not in any pain. And let me just tell you, uh, the current,
1: Anti opioid thing, they gave me extra strength Tylenol for pain for all that. And I, but the physical pain would be nothing compared to the emotional pain of that moment of being this strong, capable, I can do it, Rosie the Riveter to I am hooked up, disabled, and unable. I I don't have words for that moment, and kind of feeling like it's a dream, and understanding the true meaning of that scripture, and the eight ensuing days were there moments that I could feel pain. You better
2: believe it. Um, but the Lord understood, and I'm trying to figure this out as I'm saying it.
1: He understood the gravity of that test on my soul. And he knew how to lift that mm. such that I didn't have to really experience the full gravity of it. I I I always want to remember this because there will be future trials. I know this. We're here to be ridiculously happy and ridiculously miserable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and... Man, is it a ride, a swing from one side to the other. But I know the capability that the Lord has to lift so that, yes, you're still going through a really unpleasant mess. But more importantly, he is carrying the major weight.
2: He is in the yoke, and he is the harder puller by far. So, that is so I hope beautiful. that helps somebody today. And I hope I remember it.
3: <laughs> if not, just listen to your own podcast. i uh-huh. some amazing
1: things. Oh, I hope so. Because I do throw the world's best pity parties, black balloons and all. I can get down in the party with the worst of them and cry and scream and rent my hair. Yeah. And say, poor me. <laughs> but then I got to pop the balloons
2: and go on. So,
0: I'm glad to know that about you, Margaret, actually. You know, it's, we, like you said, we all have the high highs and the low lows, but I'm glad to know that you have low lows too, you know, that you're not just this capable person. And again, going back to, going to back to what we were talking about, God gives us all of it. He he knew in order for us to appreciate those highs, we had to have the lows. It's, it's it's all his plan, and if we just open our eyes and we look at our life, we can say, oh, we're in we're in this act of mortality that we chose to come to. We wanted this. We wanted these very challenges that are so awful, so that
1: we I question that about myself. Yeah, I really question that. I have nobody that's got some real tread on their tires worn off has not had some yeah. tough hits. There's just no, none of us. I mean, being an older person is, uh, and I have a hard time remembering I'm an older person, but I think of it more as I've had a lot of experiences at this
2: point. And, um, yeah, This this is a place of testing. Mm-hmm. And who and what are we going to be? You know,
0: who and what? What do you think, Lynette? I think tests are i I personally believe that some of our tests are handpicked for us
1: because well when- Neil Maxwell and Jeffrey R. Holland said we that was another life changing moment in my kitchen i I've always listened to podcasts, but and I have the reference because I shared it with everyone. Um, we all have favorite apostles. come on, you know we do, and so <laughs> <laughs> neil maxwell and then uh Jeffrey R. Holland, who amply quotes Neil Maxwell, "I will never forget this um it was during one of the darkest, most difficult times in my entire life, and uh Jeffrey R. Holland is speaking, and boy, if anybody I've lost the reference in the move, so if you've got the talk, please get it back to me. He is saying that in the great omniscience of God, not only Did we have knowledge
2: of the great tests of our lives? We had a hand in designing them. And uh, we looked
1: and said, I have this weakness in my personality, my spiritual self. I want to strengthen this characteristic. Um, And it may have been presented to us. Well, this experience and this one and this one May give you that. Yeah, okay. It's like classes, you know. <laughs> I want to learn to be a better cook. Okay, here's Cooking 101. Go take that. That we had a hand in designing the great trials of our life. Interestingly enough, I'm going to try not to cry. Jeffrey R. Holland referenced conference talks of, of, of Neil Maxwell that I remembered Neil Maxwell giving and had reread and reread and reread, where he projected that idea of, we had a hand, we agreed to the great tests of mortality. And Jeffrey R. Holland said, and we had a hand in designing him. And when I heard that, sisters, I immediately knew that was true. Mm -hmm. I immediately knew that was true. And I ran over to the computer and I replayed it three times. And there was just that spiritual confirmation that said, yes.
2: And even this, Margaret, because every mother fears, the greatest fear of every mother's life is losing a child. Mm. And I have had that experience, losing my big six-foot-three, 17, almost 18-year-old son. And um, God made himself known to me through that test. And knowing that day in my kitchen, and I can't really explain it. I just know that I knew, and I agreed to it, and I said I would. And, um, yeah. What happened? Somehow it helps to know that God doesn't just mete out cruel,
1: horrible things Mm -hmm. to us, like your house burning down. Mm I mean, on the other end of it, look at this, Michelle. I mean, it's changed your life and your family's life forever. And this home that you're sitting in is a symbol of that, a symbol of hard times and something better at the other end of it. Mm. Now the trick is when we're in the moment of the ashes and
2: the flames, Mm-hmm. Can we have that hope in Christ? I hope for that for me. I think we all hope for that.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really, I really do believe that. You know, it's a gift when we can go through the trials and rely on on our heavenly Father and Savior, get through them, and recognize their hand. So the next time we go through another big trial we can
2: say, you know what, we're going to get through this because we've we've done it before, we'll do it again. And I had the, the thought too, I don't remember who gave this talk, but in
0: referencing like Abraham and Isaac, mm-hmm. that, that experience, mm-hmm. can you imagine mm-hmm. as a mother very, being very asked well. to take your child's life?
4: Mm-hmm.
0: But I remember this talk, whoever it was by just said, God, God needed Abraham to know something about Abraham. The trial wasn't necessarily for Isaac or for God to prove his power or anything. I mean, it was like, Abraham would need to go back to that experience and say, I was faithful. Once I can be faithful again, God provided and and, and know that he, that God had given him the strength to do that. You know, and you sacrificing your relationship with your own
3: father
2: did that ever mend or you know it did and um god is so kind he's so good mm-hmm. i um
1: i live 2 miles away from my family from the house i grew up in and you know we were really close i mean i adore my family and Yeah. It um, Yes, it took a while. And I was given a promise just in a prayer. I had that answer one day. I didn't know what one day meant. God has an odd clock, you know.
2: And (laughs) one day, that could be 150 years. Anyway, one day, they'll be back. It'll come back. Yeah. So yes, it was mended. It was not quick. Not quick
1: we Irish don't give up easy. Yes. (laughs) Once we dig in, we dig in deep.
0: (laughs) And you probably saw the fruits of, of the gospel in your life. You saw the light in your eyes and probably at some point couldn't deny that. Hey, this isn't a bad thing. She doesn't have horns. I don't think.
1: (laughs) No, (laughs) I'm not doing anything
0: too crazy. Yes.
1: (laughs) I know he never stopped loving me. I think he painted him as a parent. Now, of course I have, you know, 2020 vision he painted himself in a corner we all do that as parents how are you going to get yourself out of this one (laughs) so
0: well this has been I, i just honestly i feel like i have just again been in a spiritual feast absolutely well
1: i feel that way from both of you said things that were just pink wrap gifts for me not purple I was thinking, why did I say pink? I'm not I know. a pink person. I'm like, really,
0: I kind it of was, hurt my it feelings. Was a Can you say purple? purple? Okay, because I would want to give you a purple one with sparkles, please. With sparkles. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Margaret, for Thank being here you. today. What a and great opportunity! I know my faith has absolutely been strengthened, oh, and I hope love so. you so much more, and your husband. I'm delighted to get to know Wayne.
1: What I didn't know a, I was going to talk about him. I love it. I, I feel
0: like how fun to get to know him too, just as a benefit of, of talking about your family today. And hopefully we'll we'll get to hear from Heather and just continue to grow the love for your family. But oh, Heather, now there's
1: someone worth interviewing. Oh, she I know. We'll she's a beautiful snacker. We're coming yeah. to get you, Heather.
0: <laughs>
4: and Margaret, I'm just so <laughs>
3: grateful that as that young mother, when you went to education week and you had that prompting that one day you would live here, mm. I'm so glad you ended up in well, our it took ward. a
1: long time. <laughs>
3: but now I'm a Utah <laughs> Mormon you're girl. Oh. <laughs> you're here, hopefully to stay. Yay. I think so. Thank well, you. Thank-
0: yes. Thank you for joining us.